Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about the diet. And even though Sky Talkers is Charlotte and I, and that is two, and a diet is two, we actually have a very special guest on with us today. We have our good, good, good friend from Twitter, Hammy at Balance Padawan, is here to talk all about the diet with us. Welcome, Hammy, to Sky Talkers. We are so excited to have you here. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. (laughs) Caitlin and I have talked about having you on the show for so long. You've been such a great friend to us and such an awesome like Twitter buddy and honestly such a joy to see online. If you're not following Hammy on Twitter, you definitely should (laughs) because her she's like the meme queen, the reaction queen. Like she's just all over the place, like in Mm -hmm. of awesomeness. So please follow her if you don't. But Hammy, I wanted to start really by asking you what your Star Wars story is, because I actually think it's so interesting, and I bet we have a lot of listeners who would relate to it. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got into Star Wars and what your favorite parts about Star Wars are? So I came into Star Wars as a fully grown adult. One of my friends introduced me to it. For a while, everyone had been telling me, oh, you're really going to like Star Wars. You should watch it. And I guess my entire life went by and I never got around to it. And then finally, The Last Jedi was coming out. And my friend said, I really think you're going to like it. You need to binge watch all of the movies and then we'll go watch The Last Jedi. So I pretty much spent a week and I watched all of the movies, um, the original trilogy, the prequels, and then... um, and then the sequel trilogy, well, The Force Awakens. And then we went in and watched The Last Jedi as soon as I was done with The Force Awakens. So that was pretty much my experience. And then I fell completely in love with The Last Jedi and Star Wars. And I started my Twitter account like a month later. And it's been a crazy ride since then. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that you your introduction to Star Wars happened during the sequel trilogy. I just feel like there's... When we were really getting into the Star Wars fandom, it felt like there wasn't enough people whose introduction to Star Wars was the prequel trilogy. And now I feel like we're seeing how wonderful it is to see people whose introduction was like the sequel trilogy era, at least. And I love that that was your introduction. And I know that you had some like really funny reactions to the movies that just make me laugh, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I did. um, For my one year Twitter anniversary, I did a whole thread of um, because I was sending texts back and forth to my friend as I was watching them. And so I and I didn't know anything, you know, I I basically just knew who Darth Vader was. That was it. So um, Mm -hmm. I was reacting in real time to everything that was happening on screen. And it was just really funny. So (laughs) so yeah, (laughs) but but yeah, it was um, it was really nice going on Twitter because I ended up finding this whole community of people who came to Star Wars through the sequel trilogy. And it's nice to it just feels really fresh and new to be able to talk to them. And then it's also been nice because I've been able to meet older fans. And that's the really cool thing about Star Wars is that it's generational and everybody comes into it at a different point in their lives. And then also at a different point in the saga itself. So it's it's really fun to meet new people and then kind of ask them where, what their Star Wars story is. And then we can connect. And, and it's fun because people think about it differently depending on how you entered the franchise. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And and of course, like all of us are in, we're in the Star Wars online community, but we're also in the Raylo online community too. And there's just such a breadth of people. Like that's the great thing about online communities is that like you were saying, Hammy, there are people who have come in at every different stage of Star Wars, whether it was with the second trilogy or with the original trilogy or with Clone Wars or even with the sequel trilogy. And you just get to see so many different perspectives. And I love that your story is not just coming in at the sequel trilogy, but like coming in in the middle of the sequel trilogy too (laughs) (laughs) with The Last Jedi. I just think it's so cool. And you've like gone through the animated shows too, right? 
Yeah. So then after um, after I joined Twitter, um, I don't know why. I guess I can't love things a little bit. I have to love them completely. <laughs> so. I really you are in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So then, yeah. So I found um, I started listening to podcasts. I found you guys, and I found a few other people. Um, and then I just kind of dove headfirst into the canon. So I I watched uh, Clone Wars, obviously, and then I watched Rebels, and then I watched Rogue One, and then um, and all of that was before Solo came out, which was in May of 2018. So it was kind of like a five to six month period where I just completely dove into Star Wars before Solo released. And and it was all online, you know, every day I would be tweeting something new that I was like learning or, you know, finding funny about Star Wars. And so that was literally my my fan experience is pretty much recorded online. (laughs) This is so weird, but I kind of got goosebumps when you talked about that because I just feel like that's so cool. And I really wish that I could have that experience. Yeah. I I wish that I could kind of trade places with you and kind of experience all that in like such a condensed time period of like, oh my God, this is so cool. Also, that period in like Raylo, the Raylo fandom in the online community has been my favorite period, like that early 2018, Caitlin. It's like the golden time for Caitlin and I. Yeah. And it was just so like everything was really flourishing. Rebels was ending. It just felt such a like a good time. And to hear that that's when you kind of really dove really deep into Star Wars is just so meaningful, I think. Yeah, it was it was we're gonna talk about duality, but it was kind of both sides because um, you know, I don't know if you guys heard, but The Last Jedi was not received very well by certain <laughs> corners of the fandom. And so for me to enter, I was getting both sides of you know really positive really happy with the Raylo community and we were doing deep dives on discussions about mythology and where the story was headed and all this stuff and then the other side was uh, you know all these fans who like hated it and were telling me oh the sequel trilogy sucks and all this stuff so it was I was a lot I chose a great time to join Star Wars (laughs) you're like getting to know everything but also kind of like in the middle like a rag doll between people being like it's good it's bad it's good it's bad really the full experience yeah right away people yelling at you that the same thing is both good and bad in star Mm -hmm. wars then are you are you in it no (laughs) (laughs) so you've been a star wars fan now almost three years and i think something that's so cool is that you're a part of the what the force uh site now can you talk a little bit about your experience working on articles and being an editor for the What the Force site? Yeah, sure. So Marie Claire, she has a Star Wars podcast called What the Force. And so I found her pretty quickly around the same time that I was listening to you guys. And we became friends. I think I was doing Rebels and Clone Wars rewatches with people. So I was hosting them online and um, other people on Twitter were coming and watching. We were watching the episodes together. So me and Marie Claire became friends really quickly. And she decided this year after um, The Rise of Skywalker that she wanted to um, expand her website and include more articles diving into mythology, just a different way of talking about Star Wars than had been done in the past. She comes from a unique background. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to praise Marie Claire for a while, but if you haven't Don't listened to our podcast, great. you should you <laughs> yeah. should go listen to it. Um, but she has a unique background. Um, she was a psychology major, so she comes at it from that. And then she connects mythology to Star Wars and then also um, femme-gay storytelling. That's really important. So those are kind of the key main aspects behind the What the Force vision. And so that's what I'm helping to hopefully bring to the website as well. So we put out articles every Tuesday and Thursday. It's covering the entire saga, all of the trilogies and then all of the shows, everything. And then usually we try and connect it back to something in mythology or femme storytelling, something just taking a uniquer um, kind of a deep dive into Star Wars that you won't find elsewhere. Yeah, I think some of the articles that are published, I think are so, you're definitely right when saying that it's unique and you don't see it elsewhere. Uh, 
I think one that happened today was the plea for more Boba Fett from someone who's Polynesian. And I feel like you're not, I just don't feel like I'm seeing those kind of articles on other fan sites. If I am, if, if they exist, I am not experiencing them and it's just not in my corner of fandom. I'm super, super th- thankful for this sort of creation of the space. And one of the the main things that, I, I don't know, you caught my eye when you wrote this article about uh, the dyad. And it's it's sort of a really informative article about like the history of the dyad and the way that we're moving forward. And I think that we're going to use your article as kind of a jumping off point for our conversation today. And I'll link the article and I'll link the site in the show notes so that everyone can follow along and read and definitely keep up to date with the What the Force site on Tuesdays and Thursdays when they launch our new articles and metas and everything. Because I really do think it's great. And I really think that I think it's always awesome when someone starts a fan site uh, just because I I really do believe in the concept of um, like a, a positive fan space and ability to like cultivate fandom and to put your own stamp on your own perspectives and to I don't know I think that uh, what what the force is doing is just it's just such a beacon of light I think in fandom right now and especially after the rise of Skywalker I feel like it was the right thing to do. So everyone definitely should check it out and follow along because I just I'm really into the mission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a little bit of everything on the site too with the articles and MC and Hammy and everyone else who's involved in what the force and what they're doing over there is it's just incredible and there's so much good being done and so much interesting stuff being researched and talked about and put in this like one place on this like one kind of platform. Um, so it's really cool. And I, yeah, I, like Charlotte said, your article, Ray and Kylo Ren, what is the dyad? That's right up our alley. <laughs> so it's seemed- like, definitely our alley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We like, we live on this alley. <laughs> it seemed perfect to finally be able to have you on and to talk about it. Um, before we actually dive in to Hammy's article and research and talking about the diet amongst the three of us, a little bit of housekeeping for Sky Talkers is that we have started doing transcripts for our episodes, newly launched last week. Was that a week ago, Charlotte? I think uh, so. I think so. what is time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thinking back to our fractal conversation from last week of like it's all in 4D and nothing matters. Um, <laughs> but we have started doing transcripts uh, for our episodes in 2020 and then some of our more popular ones in, from 2018 and 2019. This is a slow process. <laughs> so our uh, our like when we release a new episode on Saturday, for example, it'll probably be about three to five days before the transcript is ready. Uh, Charlotte and I have both taken a crack at it. Charlotte is way faster at transcribing than I am, <laughs> as we have discovered. <laughs> but we are both working on it and uh, we are really excited to be able to have this. You'll be able to find the transcripts on our website uh, where we post our ep- episodes. There's this like really great player, kind of like a widget within uh, the blog post that has our episode and it will auto scroll. It will go through uh, the episode like for you uh, while it's playing in real time. So we're really excited to have this service on our website and uh, it does take a little bit of time, but we are working on it and we're really excited to, like I said, have this now and to be able to have transcripts for our episodes. Yeah, I think one of our goals for 2020 was to make sure that our podcast was 
accessible and open and uh, listenable, readable all across the board. And I don't think we could have been able to, number one, afford a transcription service without our Patreon. And also, I I just I'm really thankful for this ability to like cross this milestone for Sky Talkers. It's something that Caitlin and I have talked about for a while and something that I feel is really important mm-hmm. for podcasts. So um, I am really excited about it. And I just want to echo what Caitlin said is that it does kind of take us a little bit of time in order to fill in the ho- the holes from the transcription service. So when an episode drops, if you could just give us like three to five days really to finalize that transcript, uh, that would be awesome. And again, thank you so much to our patrons for making this possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are going to get into our parts now. Uh, part one is going to be all about defining the dyad. Part two is going to be about the uses in current storytelling. And part three is going to be about the future. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? So in this section, we are going to kind of be breaking down what is the dyad, where do we see it in other parts of mythology, um, in history, in literature, et cetera, and talking about it a little bit in Star Wars in this part, and then, of of course, all of it in Star Wars. Uh, But, Hammy, since this, like, your article was kind of the jumping off point for this discussion, why don't you start and walk us through what is a dyad? The reason my article is kind of starting off with the definition is because I know that um, a lot of people probably are curious about the concept. And so they're probably searching Ray and Kylo. What is the dyad? We've never heard of this before. So it was really important for me to have it um, accessible to people who maybe aren't as deep into Star Wars as we are. Um, you know, we're talking about it every day, but the average person maybe won't be. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really important to start it off that way. Um, so the uses that I had actually seen, uh, because I'm actually a science major, so um, I had seen it used in chemistry and in biology. When you talk about chromosomes, two chromosomes are, um, connected together are a dyad. Um, there's molecules that are connected. It's really nerdy, but <laughs> but it's uh, something that I'm really interested in. And then in sociology, the it's um, pretty much the simplest definition is that a dyad is two people who are in a relationship, and usually it's spouses. So that's what I kind of wanted to start with. And then from there, we can expand into what it actually you know is in star wars (laughs) yeah yeah i think that makes total sense i think it's really interesting because caitlin and i didn't follow spoilers and we were like there's something about these two there's something about pairs and i think there's there's something it like way back in like i don't know october last year and i think it's really interesting that they would choose this term dyad like to me i think the term the word itself actually tells me like the etymology of the word really does evoke the sense of two just because of the word the the die the duo the the whole way that, that word works so i think that in terms of like storytelling it works because i think that while yes you could be like what does that even mean i think that deep down like subconsciously maybe we all know that that means two the the duo the duology dyad like it all kind of makes sense and if it does come from science then i perhaps we've seen it in other places as well so there's this really interesting note that charlotte had in here about pythagoras which w- have we ever referenced pythagoras <laughs> no <laughs> not on the show no <laughs> why i thought hammy put it in because i was like <laughs> <laughs> with like the Pythagorean theorem or something like that <laughs> about the the number two and like you were saying like the etymology of it and how almost on a subconscious level we kind of understand that it's like die two 
dual duology, all of that good stuff, like you said. But you put this note in here about the number two, quote, two-ness or otherness and uh, how it kind of sets itself apart specifically for two things, two people, two ideas. And I really liked this and I thought it applied really well to what our discussion will be like with Ray and Kylo because I think so many stories and within Star Wars 2 are all about the chosen one. And there's this uh, like an isolation and a type of singularity there when we talk about the chosen one. And this is often a theme when we have these kind of hero stories that we see quite often throughout mythology and, of course, Star Wars. But the dyad, the two-ness, the otherness, it allows for this companionship that can really kind of set itself apart. And like we'll discuss, in a way, it can be a lot more balanced and a lot more powerful. Star Wars has always been interested in the polarity between light and dark and exploring that. And I just think that's just a core tenet of storytelling anyway, is this idea that there are two halves of you. I mean, that's Hammy's icon on Twitter is so mm-hmm. iconic. It's a piece of concept art from uh, the, is it The Last Jedi or is it The Force Awakens? I actually can't remember now. It's The Last Jedi, but what's cool about it is that it was actually, it was done by Ryan Johnson. It was one of the first um, images that he created for The Last Jedi. And it was so, it was so early on that Ray was still called Kira. So this was before oh. The Force Awakens had even like started filming. So they didn't even know that her name was Ray yet, but he was already talking about this idea of Tunis. Um, and so mm-hmm. the image, if, if you haven't seen it before, is Ray and Kylo's two halves of their faces joined together. And so it's kind of like a yin, yin and yang image. And so, yeah, it was created that early on in um, the concept for the sequel trilogy. And so, so I cool. I think I found it early on in my fandom and then I just kind of stuck with it as my, <laughs> as my image on Twitter. But it kind of <laughs> summarizes where the sequel trilogy was headed in my mind so that's why I I like to use it I don't know what I'll do if you change it I know I can't I can't I can't change I mean I changed my profile picture and it was like a big deal and I feel like you can totally change your profile picture but I do associate that image with you at this point Mm -hmm. yeah I don't think I knew that that was Ryan Johnson's image, though. Yeah, yeah. So it was actually supposed to be um, what Ray was going to see in the cave um, on Octo. And so they were talking about it that early on. Like, he knew that he wanted Ray to, you know, go into her subconscious. All of this was before The Force Awakens had even started filming. It was that early because she was still called Kira. So, yeah, so it was about the cave. And then um, she was going to see, you know, I guess it's similar to what Luke saw in, you know, in his cave on Dagobah. It's that, you know, he saw Vader. And so she would have seen, you know, her shadow i guess you could say her shadow would be (laughs) kylo and so that that was being discussed yeah by ryan i think that's so cool and just to kind of say what i was saying before about like caitlin brought up the chosen one and how that's such a huge theme i guess especially in the prequels and just the idea of a chosen one narrative and then what we're going into i think when the sequel trilogy that i think the sequel trilogy was like really willing to explore is this concept of light and dark within us perhaps even more so than what came before in the six movies before and in order to center that i think it just makes perfect sense that they would center it with this terminology that comes up in the rise of skywalker of the dyad and something about like i think it's so interesting because at least for me i was like oh perfect like we have a definition now for what this like special connection that ray and kylo had and i know I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves by talking about star wars but to me it it, it makes perfect sense in order like i was saying about like this exploring about the polarity and i do think that that is so necessary in storytelling to dive deep into that and to and to end up eventually defining it in the story i just i think it just was like oh yeah that's what it is i think that the yes i think we would have all appreciated a little bit more explanation about how 
Ben Solo <laughs> came to that <laughs> understanding. And that's why we're here tonight to talk about it. But I think that there, it definitely was like, we could go through the story and be like, oh yeah, of course they're a dyad. Like that makes perfect sense. You know, <laughs> even if we didn't really understand what it was. No, it definitely not really provided validity, but sort of for audience members who maybe weren't buying into the idea of these two being connected, you know, not even in from a romance perspective, but just that these two individuals, that their fates were kind of tied together and that their relationship was going somewhere um, to where they would connect with each other and commiserate over their loneliness. You know, they're <laughs> two powerful individuals in the galaxy. No one else is showing these awesome force powers. And so something is bringing them together. And so it was nice to have that. Yeah. Even if we don't know exactly what it is, at least there's a term that people can use to reference the connection between the two of them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think someone like me, who is Raylo, is a Raylo. Uh, is, is Raylo. Is Raylo. <laughs> <laughs> you are all the Jedi. I am all Raylo. <laughs> I, I think it's something I've been thinking a lot about in the past couple of months and uh, like when we were, we were doing these show notes and stuff about what is – is it good that we had this definition of it in the film? And I really like how you said that, Hammy, how it's not even necessarily validity for people like us who have already bought in to the relationship and their connection and all of that. But it does in a way just kind of hammer at home for other people who are maybe on the fence who don't live and breathe this every day or it just wasn't something that they were invested in or even picking up on and to give it a name is powerful even if you know we may have wanted more explanation of it within the film itself yeah i think that this is a good point to start talking about how in the rise of skywalker documentary chris terrio refers to the dyad as like the mythical dyad that Joseph Campbell referenced and Joseph Campbell really only referenced this once and it really was in in, in accordance to like a symbolic marriage which is something that ha- Hammy uh, talked about a little bit earlier but I think that it's interesting because I don't think this is a concept that Joseph Campbell was like really clinging to that much <laughs> never really co- it doesn't really it came up once okay <laughs> and yeah. I think it's, I don't know, I just find it interesting that uh, they pulled from this and really like hammered home that it was uh, a Joseph yeah. Campbell concept. Terrio kind of hangs his hat on it in the documentary. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think th- I think it's okay because I just always saw it as kind of a jumping off point. Like they saw, you know, Joseph Campbell use it, but then in other mythology, the idea of two people coming together or the duality exists in, you know, religions and in myth, you know, the yin and yang that's within oneself. But then you also have marriage between gods, which is, you know, with another person. So that idea of what a dyad could be that all of that is discussed. So you can have internal balance and you can have balance with another person, you know? So I think that I'm probably giving Campbell too much credit, but that's probably what he meant by the symbolic marriage of the dyad. It's that when you're in a marriage that you are making sacrifices, he talked about sacrifice a lot that, and of Mm -hmm. course in Ray and Kylo, we see a lot of sacrifice happening, but Mm -hmm. it's that um, you can't reach that two-ness or um, that marriage or that dyad without a little bit of sacrifice on each of your parts in order to come together. That's so interesting. And I think that's, it's definitely true. We we have a whole episode about sacrifice and how important it is in Star Wars and also just important in terms of like 
the myth in general because it is oh we have the whole episode on. i don't need to <laughs> no it was a great episode it was one of my favorite sky talkers Thank episodes. You. i appreciate that i i feel like when i was you know going through the depths of the internet about the term of the dyad and it was coming up in science and math and everything and when I went on this train, it kind of brought me to this term, which is demiurge, um, which a demiurge is uh, a, in Greek philosophy. It's an artisan like figure who is responsible for fashioning and maintaining the physical universe. And like words like creator and craftsman and, and producer are all around demiurge who fashions this creation in a dyad so the light the dark the good the bad you know all these opposite opposites the polarity that i was referring to before and i just kind of thought it was interesting when we talk about ray and kylo later in terms of these like powerful force beings that i'd find this term like demiurge like demigod something pretty similar to that you know um when we think about the skywalkers in star wars as you know, huge mythic, mighty, mighty Skywalker blood kind of characters. And I don't know, I, I I guess I just, I think that when in this like word family of the dyad, a lot of like interesting concepts come up and things just make sense to me about the, cho- why they would choose this word. No, definitely. And with the, you know, with the demigods thing um, about, you know, a force bringing two people together to create that connection. (laughs) You know, that's definitely what's happening with Rey and Kylo. This isn't just, you know, mortals, um, you know, people who don't have power in the galaxy in this way with the force, you know, it's very godlike what's happening Mm -hmm. between the the two of them. And I think, um, you know, we were kind of spec, a lot of us were kind of speculating that their powers were only going to increase as after the last Jedi that um, we were going to see even more. Yeah. You know, even more abilities in the force between the two of them and that them coming together was going to be something extraordinary kind of, and that is what happened on screen. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that idea of the, um, you know, Demiurge, it definitely is in there with Ray and Kylo. Reading a little bit about the Demiurge itself, it, it really kind of gives you the vibe, if I may be so bold, of the cosmic force, mm-hmm. which is definitely, I think, like Cammy referenced in a lot of our speculation leading up to the rise of Skywalker, this discussion of the living versus the cosmic force, the will of the cosmic force, what its role is in the lives of Rey and Kylo and what that means for them going forward, because they are protagonists in this. And even before knowing Rey's lineage, they are set apart in, even with Rey's lineage, they are set apart in that vein. And so the creation, the idea of creating this connection between them and kind of manifesting itself into their force bond, which became the dyad. I think it's it's really interesting the different kind of trains of thought this can lead you down, um, which I think is good. And we'll talk about this more later and throughout, I'm sure. But the fact that they didn't necessarily define it very well in Tross can be seen as a positive, too. And the fact that there's yeah. a lot of room for the future, for this to be explored even more and perhaps even given more time than it would have been given in The Rise of Skywalker had they tried to nail down more details of it or even talk about it more. Definitely. I think there's a lot of places that they can pull from for future stories. So we won't be limited. I know it's kind of disappointing to not get all the answers that we want. And this is obviously with the idea that we all think Ben is going to come back. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we we didn't get every answer and every definition that we wanted in The Rise of Skywalker. But that's okay because um, the thing about Star Wars is they always plant seeds and those seeds always grow and become something else. So I just can't imagine a world where they don't pick up this concept again and expand it. 
to me, it's like the most interesting thing about the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and I feel like I don't, I'm not alone in thinking that. So I can't not be, I can't be left alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't see a force ghost for a reason. So that, that's <laughs> what I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad, Hamby, that you're on this episode to talk about this with us because I feel like you, like your online presence and like talking to you about this in, in real life, virtually, of course, it just like soothes a lot of my saltiness. <laughs> you just have such a candor about talking about these things where I'm like yeah you're so right I'm not sad (laughs) and I do I I do have my bad days I do feel you know we're being you know honest about it but you know we were all really hurt and upset after Mm -hmm. the rise of Skywalker but I'm but there are all of these things in the movie that we can definitely pick up on and that a storyteller who has the inspiration and the creativity could come up with really cool things. So I th- I'm excited to yeah. like, you know, dive in and start talking, you know, about all of that. Yeah, when I get the gumption to dive into The Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> I was just watching some fan vids and I was like, oh gumption. man, like the the exoskeleton the of this movie. Yeah, the, if you will. The chutzpah, <laughs> if you will. The exoskeleton of the movie to me is like, I, there are concepts that I actually really like and do want to want to dig into. I just need to think about them in isolation, and that's exactly what we're doing today. You know, <laughs> I I I I feel like Cammy and I are kind of on the same page. Caitlin like needs to catch up, but <laughs> we in terms of this this saltiness, that's what but, tonight's for. We're gonna we're yes. gonna process this with the listeners as well, and we're all gonna be better for it at the end. <laughs> okay, so bringing it all back to the dyad, why we're here tonight. I think we should talk about other examples of like two-ness in Star Wars. Caitlin and I have a whole episode about this, but that was before The Rise of Skywalker. So I think that it, it is worth kind of reflecting upon again. The first thing that comes to my mind is the symbiont conversation in The Phantom Menace, which I think is so crucial to Star Wars in general. The whole we're symbionts, what happens to one of us affects the other. You must understand that. And I think that is so is actually how the dyad works and how they work to if when when they are fully balanced they work together in perfect harmony and i feel like that is just a total reflection of the force um what do you guys think what are the other examples of like twos in star wars and how this relates to the dyad well i really love that you brought that up because i think a lot of us were hoping that um the rise of skywalker would come back and connect with the Phantom Menace. And so mm-hmm. that's like a beautiful way to explain how it is. <laughs> um, I think we kind of hoped that with Ben, um, with Anakin leaving his mother, like Ben would return to his mother. And that did happen on some level, you know, him going home. And, but that's another way of thinking about it is that the relationship between Rey and Kylo are symbionts. And I think it's it's kind of sad, but in the Rise of Skywalker novel, when Rey describes the connection with Ben when, you know, when he dies, it hurts and it's empty and then when he can't feel her he gets really upset and so it's 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 sad but it's tragic and good and mm-hmm. it's still it's another way of showing that they are always connected and th- that they can always feel each other in the forest and so that's a really way cool way to bring it back to the Phantom Menace I really love that yeah I think that even before the the Rise of Skywalker came out talking about the Phantom Menace and like you said the symbionts of it the symbiontness of it all and what we do affects each other. I think that's what a lot of us had been talking about of just like they live or die together. And of course, it's not exactly how it played out, but the way that it's left is open-ended, right? So there's still that possibility that they could play with it in the future. But we also have, of course, the rule of two with the Sith. And I think that, like Charlotte said, we have an episode on the rule of two and, and looking at pairs 
throughout the Star Wars trilogy. And I think we'll be talking about that in the next part too, but it, it seems good to mention here of just how like, this isn't something new in Star Wars. This is represented in a lot of different ways as we've kind of been talking about and around uh, so far in this episode, but between uh, Master and Apprentice, Sith Lords together, romantic pairings, a dyad. Uh, we of course have Rebels with Maul and Ezra, which I think is one of the most interesting pairings that we have in Star Wars. And it's all what I really love about this concept of two and and specifically with Ben and Ray, of course, is just seeing the push and pull that these characters have on each other and the ways that they influence each other for better or for worse. And we see a lot of imbalance in the relationships prior to Ben and Ray, right? And that's really what sets them apart. But I think that for me, as far as like other examples in Star Wars, I think that Maul and Ezra is the most interesting. Yeah, I think that we just had an episode about the episode Twin Sons on Star Wars Rebels, and we didn't really talk about the title at all. But, you know, such an important part in um, in Luke's journey into gazing off of those twin sons. But also, I think that in the, in the, the concept of, like, the fact that you have this pair, and I think that even in that episode of Rebels, if you're familiar with it, there's this idea of, we talk about it in the episode about, like, moral relativism, about, like, whether or not Luke is the chosen one, whether Anakin is, who who it is, and why Ezra is involved, and this whole concept of two. So we have the twins in, in this episode. It could be Ezra and Luke, who are the same age, <laughs> and or we could have this sort of this concept of I'm using twins in quotation marks, but this this these rivals of Maul and and Obi-Wan, we have these these pairs that just constantly come up in Star Wars that it just, to me, it just like perfectly makes sense again, that we would have a defining term to define the powerful two, you know? Definitely. The end-all be-all of the pairs. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're dancing around it. Are we ready to jump yeah. into part two? <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it. Okay, so welcome to part two, where we're going to be discussing the uses in current storytelling. So let's just start off with it. We've kind of been talking about them. Let's just talk about Ben and Ray, because they are the dyad. And I think there's something so interesting about the fact that the the dyad terminology was obviously introduced in The Rise of Skywalker, but we have the Force Bond. So after the for some people after the force awakens but definitely after the last jedi this whole concept of the force bond and they were so forced they were bonded somehow a door opened a window opened between them um i, I don't I, I find to me and i think that when we have when we read like reviews from critics and and people like that who review the sequel trilogy everyone is usually like man that was the most interesting thing about the last jedi that was the most interesting relationship that was introduced in the force awakens and to have that come to a head with a definition with this idea that they were these you know foretold beings um that are unseen for generations that are like a once in a millennia type situation i think it was I think you use the word rewarding or satisfying, Hammy, in part one. And I think that is actually so true uh, because I think that when we were exploring this concept of the force bond, it was like so interesting, <laughs> just like the the best fanfic fodder that ever existed. And now we have this idea that not only are do they have this special force connection, but they are actually 
truly instruments of the cosmic force by having this title of a dyad. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think the impetus for like my article, I think, was about that because there's so much tied up with speculation when it comes to the sequel trilogy that it's hard for people to separate from that and actually talk about what's happening. But Ray, Ben, and their connection is the through line. It's the force plot, you know, in the sequel trilogy. Like, I think I, mm-hmm. I, I was able to pick up that, uh, pick that up as a new fan really quickly that you kind of have your force plot. And then you also have, you know, well, the force plot is like this moral thing that's happening in each of us. And then you have the galaxy wide conflict that's layered on top of that. And so through mm-hmm. both of those, you're able to learn lessons about life at, the, you know, our favorite George Lucas, that was his idea mm-hmm. behind Star Wars. And so when it comes to the sequel trilogy, I think the reason that I wanted to talk about this so much is because Ray, Ben, their connection is the force plot for the sequel trilogy. And the way it progresses from The Force Awakens to The Last Jedi, you know, it was mostly just speculation. There were, you know, obviously Force Awakens Raylos who kind of <laughs> suspected that something was going on between them from the interrogation room. And then from there, we actually got our first definition, which was the force bond. And that actually became canon, you know. Um, and then finally, in the last movie, it became even more elevated to the mythic level of the dyad. So it was cool to see that progression. And that's why I think it's important to discuss and talk about with them. Force Awakens Raylos are like our leaders. <laughs> they, <laughs> they saw. They knew. They, saw, they knew. <laughs> I, I, I've like bowed down to them. They, yeah, they really know. <laughs> Force Awakens released December 2015. And I think the first fanfic that had Ray and Ben having a Force Bond was January. It was it's so you know, crazy. It was like two weeks later, there was a Force Bond fanfic about the two of them and that the speculation that and, I, you know, now it kind of seems obvious when you go back and look at the interrogation scene mm-hmm. that that's not a normal way of filming that mm-hmm. kind of scene where you're going into someone's mind and the way they're kind of going back and forth like that. Um, you know, Ray is giving as equally as Kylo is trying, you know, he's trying to find out her weaknesses, but then she finds out his, you know, it was like a tit for tat. And so that's not something that we've seen before in Star Wars, where they're yeah. equally matched like that. Yeah, you're so right. It's like actually looking back upon it and then understanding even how the sound works in that scene. It's so special. It's so different. Yeah. I think that Caitlin and I were always like, wow, this is really interesting. But like, didn't really, I don't know. It's it, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and you can look back upon something and be like, oh, man. It was all there. And right. that's, that, that's <laughs> well, what Caitlin and I went funny. through in 2017. In denial about it, I think it's great because it finally, you know, they can actually see the whole progression of the arc that, okay, they yeah. were, you know, they, in reality, they didn't get along and they were enemies. And then, you know, this connection forces them to confront their weaknesses and their loneliness with each other. And then finally, you know, they're able to come together to save the galaxy. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how you described it or talked about like existing in the sequel trilogy era as you know a lot is what you said tied up in speculation which is such a good way to put it because you know that's something we love to do on the show and obviously a lot of people in the star like if you're active in the Star Wars community you probably enjoy speculating on some level like it's just fun and like you said like looking back on this hindsight is 2020 for people who come into Star Wars later how obvious is it going to be or how readily accepted is it going to be because obviously there's a lot of tension around the Raylo relationship whether you're for it or against it or could care less Um, but when it's kind of all laid out to you as you're watching these in maybe like short order, what's your emotional response to it? Is it more obvious when you're not spending 
years <laughs> speculating <laughs> about it and what could be. What I think is cool looking through The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, like you said, the Force plot of kind of tracking this relationship is that we're getting – like we're following Rey and Kylo through it pretty much beat per beat as they're un, like I guess you could say like unlocking more of what this is exactly and when mm-hmm. we finally get to the rise of Skywalker there it, it's it's reached a completely different um, level than what we see in the fourth bond and I don't like to use the word level because we talk about like leveling up and how that's like a video game and how that's not great when we're talking about Star Wars or it's not something that we particularly enjoy but they do kind of level up in a way once we finally get to the rise of Skywalker like there's something different and what are some of these differences between even the force bond which seemed so monumental when we finally saw it in the last Jedi that they were able to up the ante and you know make it more like make it more meaningful in the rise of Skywalker which I do think that the force bond scenes are meaningful in the rise of Skywalker and what was like if you can walk us through Hammy like what is going on with the dyad in the in the in the Force Awakens in the Rise of Skywalker, that is different from what we saw in the previous two films. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first, the relationship between them. I think you know. I agree with you both. I think we're going to be preaching to the choir today <laughs> a lot, but <laughs> I agree with both. You know, we the thing the special thing about Star Wars is that it's not like a video game and it's not like superheroes it's something deeper within oneself and it's always connected back to mythology and the force and why that's important and how we're all connected there's just something deeper and more meaningful and humanistic about Star Wars and so I think with Rey and Kylo it's not just that oh okay they're leveling up it's not really that because they have an emotional relationship so as their emotional relationship changes and as they become closer they're able to tap into the force more together they're able to work together whereas before they were butting heads and of course you know Ben is miserable in the force by the end of the force (laughs) awakens and Rey is scared and she's searching for belonging and where she belongs in this whole big grand story. And so as their relationship grows emotionally and all of that, this other layer between them, they're able to work together and tap into the force. So I think, so I think definitely, you know, it's not just that they're leveling leveling up, but they're exploring more parts of the force and more spirituality between each other. But specifically, yeah. in um, the rise of Skywalker, you know, we've seen the force bond and in, you know, before canon, there was legends and there were force bonds. Um, a lot of early Raylos speculated that Ray and Kylo were similar to Revan and Bastila from, from Knights Legend. of the Old Republic. Yeah, yeah, Knights of the Old Republic. So uh, there was a lot of speculation as soon as images of the two of them were seen that they, oh, their costumes are really similar. Okay, that must be where we're going with the force bond. That was a big thing um, amongst the Raylo community. But so, yeah, we've seen this in canon and in legends, the force bond, and we've seen it with Maul and Ezra. They have shared visions and a way to communicate with each other. But the dyad separates itself from that because they have all of that, what we saw in the in The Last Jedi, but then in The Rise of Skywalker, it's increased by, you know, objects can travel between their force bond. Um, they're able to bring Palpatine back to life, which, uh, but, but then also they're able to heal each other. You know, they're both on the brink of death and they're able to channel that emotion that they feel towards each other into healing each other. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, that immeasurable, yeah, that immeasurable good and evil that comes with that power of Mm -hmm. Palpatine, but then also saving one another. Yeah, exactly. 
when Rey and Kylo touch hands in The Last Jedi, and then when they have that final Force connection on Exegol, when they finally see each other, and Ben is Ben Solo, um, mm-hmm. those are the two times that the Force theme plays. And mm-hmm. it's really important because it shows that this is a pure connection and that Snoke tries to pretend like he's the one who created it, you know? And then Palpatine, he uses it. It just feels very, like, dirty and, like, that something is coming in between them instead of this really pure connection that the two of them have. So I think that's why we're all really... Ew, why is Palpatine <laughs> using their power? And so I, th- I think yeah. that's why a lot of even Raylos were kind of upset that the dyad was used in that way. Like, why are we yeah. defining something that's really emotional and pure between the two of them? Why are we defining it this way? And then why are we treating it so carelessly between them? Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting and, and a good thing to remember, especially, you know, someone like me who still salty uh, <laughs> but the like the force theme right we, we talked about this endlessly before the rise of skywalker came out and about the hand touch scene in the last jedi like when the force theme plays you should be paying attention and you're right like it feels icky to think about palpatine in the middle of that connection or also benefiting from that connection and to be honest i still like, I wonder how I'll feel about it five years from now because it still feels like, Ugh, why would they do that? But you're right. Like, like that the quote from the from the documentary of if the diet ever came together, its power would be immeasurable. It doesn't define if that power is used for good or bad, and it can mm-hmm. be manipulated. And Snoke and Palpatine, or I guess just Palpatine, manipulated it. But when the Force theme plays, it's exactly what you said, Hammy. Like, it's it's pure. It's their connection. And it's when that happens, that the most powerful emotional beats happen too. Like those moments are catalysts for what happens next in a positive manner for both Ryan and uh, Ben. And I guess you could argue like how positive is it if one of them is no longer with us? But <laughs> like, well, I think I think that's the reason it hurts so much is because we see it used for so much evil to bring back Palpatine. So ideally, many of us were speculating that there would be a sacrifice, but one of the, one or both of them would come back to life. You know, yeah. all of this we predicted months and months, maybe even a year before the rise of Skywalker came out, mm-hmm. that there yeah. would be you know a fairy tale sacrifice, and then the other person would come back to life. And so, if Palpatine can return, it 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 feels unbalanced to us. It you know yeah. you have the twin sons and you have the twins joined together at the end, but then why are Rey and Kylo separated? It and it's not even oh okay they need to be romantic. It's not even about that. It's that was where the story was headed. In in our terms, you know, we had seen all these connections, whether good or bad, push and pull, you know, throughout the entire saga. And so it was leading to this moment where the two of them should have ended together. If Ben is good, why aren't they together? (laughs) And so, but that's okay. That's okay. We still have time in 10 years. We'll be back. (laughs) I I think that it's, it's actually a, a very powerful move that in the end, the the power that both of them have in order to like restore and share life force mm-hmm. is used for good is used to bring the person they love back to life and i think that we have an example of you know using it for bad which is to bring palpatine back to life but even though that's pretty short lived because the power of whatever ray possesses is enough to take him down and then in the end when all hope seems lost and like the battle is over um the power of the dyad is able to like it, it is used for good at the very end and that's the power of the sacrifice mm-hmm. ouch yeah. 
I know it hurts so much. It but really it, still hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Nine it's, months it's, it's later, a, it's a little raw. Yeah, <laughs> we've been saying that for nearly a year. It's, it's a little yeah. raw. It's a little raw. <laughs> I think to your point, Hammy, it's like, and and this isn't meant to be like a bashing trust episode or airing grievances, which I guess it kind of is, but that's okay too. But it, I think walking through like. Like what? What is the benefit? What is it? Does it mean within the story to define something like the dyad, and where the writer within the documentary is saying like it's so powerful, only comes along once in a millennia? Like what is the value of putting all of this importance on something like the dyad, only to separate it at the end of the film? I think that's something that I'm still kind of wrestling with, and and I think I asked earlier in part one about. Like, what's the value in in defining this within The Rise of Skywalker? And I think this is where my hang-up comes with it sometimes of why define it if, if, if in a way sometimes it feels like it doesn't matter, which of course it does because like we've been talking about with this immeasurable power, it was the catalyst for Palpatine, but then also for like Rey and Ben and their sacrifices for one another. Like there is value in that, but it just – it's still – it still feels raw, <laughs> to use that word again, that it's it feels at this juncture that it's over, even though we could very well be wrong, and I'd like to think that we are, but was that the best intention for chapter nine, the final chapter? You know what I mean? Right. And it was definitely marketed that way as the yeah. final film, and we're expecting it we're expecting it to speak not only to the sequel trilogy, but to everything that came before. And it could be argued, um, you know, the power to bring back someone you love is what Anakin wanted. And yes, we're all making that connection. You know, we, because we love the prequels, we're connecting it to that, but it's not explicit in the film and it's not, you know, saying, okay, that's exactly what's happening here. And, you know, no one needs to be spoon fed, but Anakin's voice does appear, but it's only to Ray. It's not to both of them. And I think a lot of us had speculated that he would speak to one or both of them or, you know, something that would keep the two together. And so, um, as you know, we've gone on and discussed about, you know, the definition of the two and it's just weird. It's just weird in mythology and in the yin yang to disconnect it. Like, you never see them separated like that. <laughs> yeah, you really don't. And I think that, to like, Caitlin's hang-up and, like, the hang-up in general, because I, on my good on my good days, I can see past it. On my bad days, I am totally with you. On a, on a good day, this is what I see. I see the fact that they needed, in a way, to, for people who didn't really understand what the deal was between Ray and Kylo Ren and why... Even though I, my perspective is like, it's in the movie. It's all in the movie, like Ryan Johnson said. <laughs> but I feel like Star Wars needs to be obvious. Just mm-hmm. it, really, it really does. And I think perhaps that's one of the reasons why people have a lot of hangups about The Last Jedi in general, because it's a, a lot of it is so layered. It's not over, it doesn't beat you over the head with concepts. It is something that deserves to be dug into. And I think that with, with some with some Star Wars, things need to be defined outrightly so that people have an ability to dig into it, to understand the framework in which they're operating in. And I think, Hammy, in your article, you so greatly outlined this concept of anima and animus, which Caitlin and I have talked about briefly on the show, but not a lot. And I think that it's, again, something that was speculated even back in The Force Awakens, I heard it first probably on the Scavengers Horde podcast. They would talk about anima and animus all the time. And I think that for me, when they define the dyad and the dyad like doesn't 
end up in the end to both live. I still find value in having this Star Warsy term that really does get to the heart of the duality, the two halves of the same protagonists, as Ryan Johnson said, and the concept of anima and animus, which is from Carl Jung, and how Kylo Ren has always been, you know, the, basically the opposite of Ray and the masculine shadow. This, I think, also goes back to concept of like Robert Bly, which we've talked about again briefly on the show, but I don't know. I find it helpful to have a definition in, no, a, in a I, lot of ways. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I totally agree. Um, the execution, we can always talk about yeah. you know, for days about <laughs> the rise of Skywalker, <laughs> but the idea behind it and the mytholo- mythological connections that we can make to the dyad and what they're pulling from, um, that is is sound, you know, um, a lot of the things that happen in the rise of Skywalker, um, when Ray stabs Ben, that's the wound of love that is seen mm-hmm. in, in mythology, you know, the, uh, healing the snake. And then Ben is the snake that, she, you know, that she heals also. So all of that is definitely there in, um, the movie. And then, so we're able to say, okay, at least the bones were there of, <laughs> of what they were <laughs> yes. trying to lead us to. But yeah, in terms of Carl Jung, I think, and Robert Bly, Ryan Johnson listed both of them as influences for The Last Jedi. And like I mentioned before, um, my profile picture was just the two halves of it's Rey's half face and Kylo's half face put together. If you, if anyone Googles anima animus, that's the image that pops up is a male and female halves of their faces brought together. Um, And that was actually also um, the concept art that is my avatar. It was in the Trost documentary when Chris Terrio was talking about the dyad it, the image pops up and so he's talking about the two-ness and so we know that those concepts about the anima and animus uh, masculine and feminine and, and we don't mean in terms of gender but in terms of energies that is still there in the rise of skywalker um i wanted to give another example um i'm indian well i'm american but <laughs> but, um, but um, my family is indian and i'm hindu so um there's actually this concept from the first century called I'm going to pronounce it wrong because <laughs> English is my first language, but are the Narashiva, which is basically Parvati and Shiva. Um, Par- Shiva is the male god and Parvati is the female god. And so if you look up that term, um, it's two halves of their phases brought together. So there's deep, deep mythological ideas behind this two-ness and the duality that exists. And so I wanted to bring all this up in the article because this isn't just some surface level thing that's being Mm -hmm. talked about. It can be dug into deeper. And so it's nice that in star Wars, we have this term, you know, we're not using anima. It just, that feels very to our reality, right? Our dimension is where we talk about anima animus and we talk about all these um, things, but, or yin and yang that's in our world, but in star Wars world, it's nice to have this term for the dyad. And so it gives, like I mentioned earlier, validity and weight to their relationship and what it means. Yeah. And it's like, not to not to cheapen it, but it's like, oh, here's a Wikipedia page that's like just for Star Wars. And when you look up Dyad, you're probably going to only hear about Star Wars when you really talk about it. And, and like <laughs> hopefully as it's like fleshed out more. And I hope that doesn't make less of these examples or anything like that. But to your point, Hammy, of like it feels more like it belongs in the galaxy, whereas we have these other terms that are very well known in our world with mm-hmm. things like yin and yang, the anima, the animus, even with like Shiva and Pavarti. Uh, these are all things that are well known in different parts of the world and come up in a lot of different mythologies and different thing- ways that we haven't even like discussed or even know about <laughs> on this show. Like this idea of balance, 
Like, I think that's the foundation of so much of this. And like you said, it, it's like it's about the energies and, and how that like masculine and feminine energy can be balanced through people, um, through time in different ways and through different definitions and concepts. And so being able to have something that is, of course, not explicitly Star Wars, because as we discussed in part one, like it, it's not just Star Wars, but it feels it's not like I guess it's not as well known as some of the other things that are in our world. And I think that there's a lot of merit to that. And especially due to some of the open endedness that we have with the term now, there's there's a lot of room uh, for the future. I think that's why I don't know. I think about how what moments in The Rise of Skywalker made me feel really good. And I think that's why the kiss really stays with me so much. And obviously I, sh- I ship Raylo, so it makes sense. <laughs> but I think that I think that the kiss felt like, wow, the connection is more it's 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 love, it's romantic, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's all these things wrapped together and we have a term for it and it's so special. I feel like there's just something special about it. And I think that when I look back on the Rise of Skywalker, that moment. Like, I remember walking out of The Rise of Skywalker. We probably have this recorded, Keelan, and me being like, that movie contains some of my favorite moments of Star Wars, because I, but also some of my least favorite. And like, that's I, a dyad. Yeah. <laughs> yes, though. It really it is. Was like, <laughs> kiss, um, I don't know if this was on purpose. We'll have to ask J.J. Abrams when, we, when you guys have him on Skydockers one day. <laughs> I don't like even the actual framing of the kiss, the actual shot, it's the two faces coming together. So it almost matches, you know, the anima animus. Like there, there's a reason it wasn't a wide shot. Yes. Thank you, Hammy. You said yeah. exactly what I was thinking. No, yeah. I'm, I'm digging way too deep for it. But no, but no, no, but that's why it feels um, you know, it, it matches into that whole theme. And so yeah, that's a that's at least it's a face smash. It is. Frost has immeasurable power. Yeah. <laughs> like and the you diet mean, itself. Who is in your, here though? <laughs> Hammy, in your article you even quoted the um the novelization, the Rise of Skywalker novelization novelization by Ray Carson. But here's the quote. The connection was right, good, like coming home. This is how it should have been all along, a true dyad. And there we go, you know, a connection. It's how it should have been all along. <laughs> the perfect balance. And maybe one day it will be again. <laughs> There's definitely room, and we'll talk about that. There is, there is. Okay, so let's move on to part three. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, welcome to part three, where we're talking about the future. And as we kind of left off in the last part, this is where we can start getting into wild speculation, which is is the fun part. And I think as we've all kind of expressed being a little bit sad with how some things ended, obviously, in The Rise of Skywalker, there is a lot of room and a lot to unpack as far as what could happen in the future. And the dyad really is the perfect vehicle for this, I think. Um, in, in a way, it's kind of like, well, thank God we have the dyad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean they are connected forever and ever? Okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> cool. Thank you for that crumb of hope. <laughs> no, it's true, though. It's like, thank you so much for this crumb, because to have a concept that exists within, obviously, the sequel trilogy, but also is prophesized as something that is like you cannot 
separate it. It's like the red string of fate, right? It's connected with you forever and ever and ever and ever beyond space and time. It's so great. <laughs> it's just such a gift. Yeah, um, I think Pablo in the um, Visual Dictionary, that's exactly how he defined it, is two individuals connected through space and time. And so far, we've seen the space because we mm-hmm. saw, you know, um, the water in The Last Jedi. We saw the necklace come through the bond. And then we saw Vader's helmet, the stones when they were fighting. And then at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, we saw the saber come through the bond. So we've definitely seen space. But what we haven't seen is time. So mm-hmm. that means in the future or maybe in the past, they could be connected in come back together again somehow oh he just <laughs> i'm giving you too much hope aren't i <laughs> no. we you know rebellions are built on hope isn't that what they say and yeah so are fandoms it seems <laughs> sometimes <laughs> i think it's it's interesting like the space and time is of course you know we start thinking about i'm, I'm gonna bring it up guys world between worlds and mm-hmm. I don't think World Between Worlds is time travel. I, It's not. It's Even not, Matt Martin no, today no. said that it wasn't, or yesterday. It's, it's not time travel. But I feel like I see this conversation cycle through Twitter at least every other month of why does Star Wars have time travel? And I'm like, Star Wars does not have time travel. <laughs> the World Between Worlds is not time travel. But it is opportunity, which I think is where – I think because a lot of it – like. The future is unwritten, right? That's a song, right? The future is unwritten. I don't know. I've never heard that song before. But no, 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 no. Um, oh my god, Natasha Bedingfield. Bed- Bedingfield. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The future is unwritten. I don't think she says that. I don't either. think she says that either. What is the, what yeah. is the line? The rest is still unwritten. The rest. Well, okay, that's so true. Rest- that is the future. That is the. Future. That is the future. All right. Whatever. <laughs> The World Between Worlds represents something that we've already seen in Star Wars that could be this opportunity for this, like, Ben homecoming, (laughs) this Ben solo homecoming. And I think that that's where we get into this, like, where a lot of people end up talking about time travel and what would it mean if Rey, like, went into the World Between Worlds. And I think a lot of us assume that she kind of accessed it in a certain way at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. We, of course, hear a lot of other Jedi talking to her. It's something that she referenced at the beginning of the film of be with me, be with me, be with me. And the Jedi were with her. And I think that the way that it's filmed has some similarities to the world between worlds. And I just wanted to get each of y'all's thoughts about do you like is this is this what you would want to see? for a way for Ben to come back? Or would it be something completely different, some other aspect of the dyad we have yet to see? Well, I think the... um I mean, I agree. I agree with you that I think Ray was tapping into the Force. Um, on, Marie Claire on What the Force, she has... Um, a podcast episode all about this about elsewhere that's what she calls it and it's mm. so it's this place you know Ezra sees the world between worlds and um you know that Ray and Ben, their connection, it might be different. It might look a little bit different. But um, I think most people, when they're theorizing, they just say the world between worlds because that's the only idea that we have. Um, yeah. That's the only concept that we have. But you're you're so awesome to bring up the part at the end of The Rise of Skywalker because it looks totally different for Ray when she taps into the Force. Yeah. So I think there is something there that could you know, help connect them and bring them back. And with Be With Me, actually in the novelization, um, Ben says that to Ray after he dies. He says, I'll always be with you. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. 
I know <laughs> he says it and a lot of people don't bring it up very often but yeah and so it's this kind of hint that okay I'm always going to be with you and so she just needs to figure out how to find him and in mythology there's all these concepts of um, looking for your spouse in the underworld and traveling somewhere and going through these trials in order to bring them back and to reconnect with each other so I think there's definitely places that they can pull from um, to bring them back and I think the so most theories just mention the world between worlds because that's all we've seen so far yeah it feels like the world between worlds has been like the most boundary pushing in like concept that has been introduced to, into star wars that begs a sort of and i know it's not time travel so just bear with me when i say this because i actually just don't really have the right vocabulary to get around it but that sort of begs this whole timeline shift because that's what happens when um ezra is able to save ahsoka from the past really Mm-hmm. And I know it's not time travel, but I do feel like the whole concept and I, Dave Filoni has talked about it too, about how there are different like sort of access points. And Ezra was able to experience the world between worlds because he, and it sounds video game-ish, but he had actually been experiencing a similar concept from in the past when he even experienced a sort of force vision with Yoda and everything that in the past was the world between worlds in sort of that terminology. And I feel like for me to your, to your question, Caitlin, for me, it doesn't have to be the world between worlds, but for me, the framework of the force and like that weird force stuff that already exists to me, it just makes sense. Now I do feel like it's kind of like an obvious concept because there's been just so many fans who've speculated about it, but I don't know if, and I feel like that makes Lucasfilm not want to touch it, but I don't know. Maybe it's the actual opposite and everyone is just kind of pointing to something that feels so obvious. And yet we have a bunch of different sort of characters that also feel obvious about returning, returning in the future of Star Wars. So I do think anything is possible, but I'm open to having my mind blown from it. And I love the the ability to speculate about the world between worlds, but I, I feel like it could happen in it's fiction, right? Anything can happen. I think that's what we all want for them, um, for Ray and Ben, because their connection was so special and unique to the entire canon. If they were to come back together, we would want that story to be about them. And what in, and all, even though we obviously love the world between worlds, it would be something special to the two of them that connects them and brings them back. Um, and I love that you brought up the access points that Dave Filoni um, mentioned, because in the visual dictionary, sorry, I'm bringing that up so much, but no, in the visual it. dictionary, it's a, it's a key. Um, there are all these hints that there's the world between worlds theorem. And we, mm-hmm. there's only like little crumbs in the visual dictionary about what the theorem is and the idea of the access points and that uh, an exegol is also maybe included as one of the possible access points. And even on exegol, there's these this old Sith incantation where they describe the dyad. And so there's that could have been an access point. So maybe Ben is stuck somewhere and Ray has to go get him. So there, there's definitely something else that they could do, something unique between the two of them. I think there's something really interesting about the idea. I think when I've seen a lot of speculation about uh, Ben coming back and Ray, it's it's about Ray going to go get Ben, like going through wherever <laughs> these different access points to bring Ben back. But I think, you know, in my lofty speculation, I think it would be so 
interesting and cool to see it all from the other side of Mm -hmm. Ben trying to get back to Ray. If he is trapped in this elsewhere, this in-between, almost like flitting between these access points, waiting for someone to open the door. Or if you like, if you look at different like mythology, like thinking a little bit about Greek mythology, like with Odysseus going through all of his trials to get back home or his whole journey to get back home. But this journey is through this like force, force field (laughs) is like elsewhere place that Ben is, or even like the, the myth of Heracles of going through his 12 labors in one version, going through his 12 labors in order to get back home to his family. I think that could be a really interesting concept. And I think it could be super trippy if, if, if it's all from the, I guess the, the underworld, the netherworld elsewhere of where Ben is and, and really coming into contact with, all aspects of the weird force. <laughs> I feel like every time that I talk about like speculating, I'm like high level weird force stuff. Let's make it <laughs> trippy. Let's have people like floating around. Like, what's the deal? What are we doing? <laughs> no, I definitely love that. And um, and you know, it, it kind of works on a meta level too for people who maybe still don't think Ben was redeemed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like come on, on the yeah, light the side of, the of atonement. Exactly. We can actually have a story of atonement in Star Wars and him getting back. No, I really love that. I, that's amazing. I And I th- I guess it would be obviously because we're talking about the diet. It would be good to see it in balance for the two of them, you know, yeah. that they both are going on this force journey. And um, I think a lot of people maybe are worried that, OK, if Ben is there, people don't focus on Ray or, you know, the something like that. And so the idea that I think all of us buy into is that they're equals. And so their story is interesting because they're tied together. And um, so that would be really cool to see it from, you know, his point of view as well. What would be so great about a story like that is that the folk, like for people like us, right, Raylos, it would be completely, hopefully focused on Ray and Kylo. Not hopefully, it would be cool to see a story completely focused on Ray and Kylo and their journey, because I think to see something super deep of like perhaps Kylo's like way of atonement through the underworld for lack of a better word right now, or even Ray going through this journey to bring him back, it would hopefully be really emotional, really angsty, very thought provoking. And like, who am I? Um, Of course I want to see stories from like, is Finn on this journey with her now that he's force sensitive? Like, is there a connection there? I just think there's a lot of room to have almost like a closer, smaller scale story on the emotional beats of the relationships between these characters, not even just Ray and Kylo, but Finn and Rose and Poe too. And I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I, I do hope that we get to see that story one day unpacked. No, and especially for, you know, people like me who came into the into the Star Wars from the sequel trilogy, I think that was also a big issue in The Rise of Skywalker is it felt like we were focusing everywhere but on our sequel trilogy characters. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it really like that was in a whole other added layer of pain. And so it kind of would be nice to have a movie where it's just focused on our future characters and what they're bringing to the galaxy and how they're, you know, fixing things. So it could be, you know, we have the force plot and Finn is there with Ray. And then we also have, you know, the political side, the other layer with Poe and with Rose and what they're doing in the future. It would just be nice because we there isn't this added pressure to have, you know, even though we love, obviously we love the, the original cast and we love the prequels cast, but it would just be nice to have that contained story of the sequel trilogy characters. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I think that just to go to the, the across space and time aspect of the dyad, 
I think that we, if it was like from Ben's perspective, it would be great to get Ben sort of wrestling with this idea of the past and the the concept of time and h- how does he fit in as part of the Skywalker blood and how does he overcome that sort of atonement. And I think that it could really stay in line with the rest of the Skywalker saga in order to underscore the lineage that came before and how um, Ben is able to wrestle with things that he said throughout the sequel trilogy. Because like you said, the fact is, is that the sequel trilogy is basically told from Ray's perspective and I wouldn't have it any other way, but we would, we do have like a very limited scope of how we understand Ben Solo, how we understand Kylo Ren and to have an ability to, watch his like multitude of emotions about his own atonement and sort of this sort of reflective process about even the past in the Skywalker saga and how he wants to move forward if if wherever he is there is no time I don't even know if I'm making sense but I do feel like there's something very there could be something very interesting there something very reflective about everything that came before yeah definitely and I think that um you know I think we were all kind of hoping for that period at the end of the sentence with the last movie um, that all of this trauma from the prequels in the timeline from the prequels to the original trilogy and then finally with the sequel trilogy that there had been all of this built up trauma from Anakin leaving his mother and then Luke and Leia not knowing their parents and and then all of that being hidden from Ben. Um, mm-hmm. All of that has been built up over three generations and then we didn't really get to see any kind of closure at the end of that and obviously most of us hoped that Ray would be part of that journey that she would help him see that he can move on from the past um it's not about burning it down you know his favorite line <laughs> let the past mm-hmm. die it's not about that that she would help him to realize that that isn't the path forward and that both of them would be able to learn from the past and then move forward into you know whether it's you know the Jedi might not even look the same in the way that they do it, that attachment is okay. You know, all of those concepts that were layered in with the previous trilogies, it would be nice to see that all come to a head and actually tied up, um, you know, in a, in a final movie. (laughs) Even speculate about this makes me really excited and hopeful for the future, but I want to take a little bit of a step back and talk about how the dyad is kind of framed as a prophecy. And I think it's really interesting that it is framed as such, like the chosen one prophecy. We've talked about that before, but even just like as something that was foretold and how does that fit into um, the way that we understand what the dyad is and how it can be used going forward? Because I just think it's really interesting to consider like the dyad prophecy was in like a holocron or something, or if it was like within the Jedi archives, but I actually don't think it was, or if it was, it was in like a Sith holocron because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that like the dyad was actually a Sith prophecy, which is interesting because to me that means that it has like bad negative connotations and perhaps like the main joy of how the dyad is used in the sequel trilogy is the fact that it is like able to rise above whatever Sith prophecy or Sith usage that it was destined for. And I think there's something really interesting with that because that to me mirrors how the chosen one prophecy as well. And how if you want to think about like the creation of Anakin Skywalker and where that even came from and like what that purpose was all about, was it, it was about bringing balance to the force, but did the Sith want to use that? 
I think that that's like it's just an interesting path to like ha- let your mind go down about like this parallelism between chosen one prophecies and the dyad prophecy and how that could be used in the future because both of those things are pretty still quite like nebulous right in terms of in terms of uh, definitions yeah and um i think i had mentioned um the sith incantation that's carved into the wall on exegol and so it's talking yeah. about um so this is from the visual dictionary it's talking about the nature of the dyad um and so what it says in the visual dictionary it says it says curiously it is nearly identical to text describing the rule of two a sith doctrine that <laughs> there could only be two living sith lords so were sith in the past trying to create their own dyad i mean palpatine seems to have at least known about the concept what it is and so were they following the rule of two because they wanted this power and they wanted to create that but then the like you mentioned the way we see it is this pure good thing um between Mm -hmm. ray and ben so yeah it would be really cool to see that explored well it makes you wonder if going all the way back to almost like a creation myth of the Jedi and the sith if there was like this adam and eve kind of creation myth with you know, a dark side and a light side person and they, they were balanced and, but then they went on different tracks and became the Sith and the Jedi. And so this like Sith incantation, like all of these things that the Sith are doing is really just another version of what the original, the perfect union was originally, uh, you know, at, at the dawn of time or, or, the possibilities of what that could even look like and everything that the Jedi and the Sith are doing with the rule of two. And even with like the concept of masters and apprentice is just a shadow of what it actually was in the very beginning. Um, In like Christian theology would say like before sin came in, but that could look like a lot of different things like in Star Wars. And of course in other mythologies it does too. But yeah, I think it like the incantation and it being like on exegol and it just like they're all kind of dancing around this idea. But I think it's interesting that the rise of Skywalker is when we actually first hear the term, at least in our real world timeline. Yeah, it, um, I think it's it's really cool that it plays kind of similar to the original trilogy, right? It's It was kind of a unique choice that George Lucas made that the Jedi are all gone when we yeah. meet Luke. And so in a similar way, Ray and Ben, when we meet them, they are the only two Force users, right? There's all this... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know about the past and all of that. So it, it's definitely rife for like future storytelling. But another example would be the prime Jedi symbol. So we yes. we don't have the two faces, um, you know, actually in canon in terms of like, you know, how Ryan Johnson originally framed it, where it was Ray and Ben's half faces. But we do have the prime Jedi symbol. So I think that definitely connects to what you're talking about, um, that there may have been this split between the Sith and the Jedi and they went on their own paths. But originally they were the same thing because they were just force users. So I think it's definitely the seeds are all there yeah. <laughs> if, if someone wanted to pick it up and start telling a story about it. Yeah, and I I have to bring up the the quote from Dooku Jedi Lost, the incantation that Mm -hmm. they have in Dooku Jedi Lost of, I can't remember it now, but walk into the light, embrace the darkness, and find balance or something like that. But that was from the the Jedi of old, like the original Jedi. And I just think it's, yeah, you're right, Hammy, like the seeds are all there. I kind of wanted to jump back to our discussion about uh, like Kylo and confronting the past, like their atonement, if a story is told from his perspective, Um, really just because I I came across this quote last week. I think I saw it in like a YouTube video or something. Um, But it's from, it's from Faulkner, William Faulkner, the author from his book, Requiem for a Nun, which is part play, part 
novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a really famous line, and it goes, says, quote, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And I think that that would be such an interesting concept to, like, really apply to Ben Solo in, like, if we were to see a story from his perspective about confronting his past. Like, his whole thing is let the past die, right? Which we're all like – dude, no, Um, (laughs) because the past is never dead. It's not even past. And like you were saying, Hammy, like having these generations of trauma, what does it ultimately mean in the end? And to have a character like Ben Solo, who is, of course, from that bloodline and a product of all of that trauma, to be able to look back and see how all of the dominoes fell in place for who he became, I think could be really powerful. And then also to see that someone like Ray wants him to come back, I think that would be really powerful too. And I think that that is a concept that I like to think about a lot when we're talking about Anakin and Luke and Anakin becomes trapped in like literally trapped as Darth Vader. And I think something that's really tragic about Anakin is like that good part of him that's within Vader. It's almost like who would even be there for me if I did come back? Like no one's there to love me any longer, Uh, you know, in the period between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope and, and of course, like meeting Luke. And then Luke, of course, goes to Octo and he's of the belief that he should be there and he did enough damage. He cut himself off, off from the force. Like who would want him after everything that he's done? And they both come to different realizations. And I think in a way, Kyle, like Ben gets that at the end of Rise of Skywalker with Rey, but I think it will be great to like, I don't know, for him to really come to terms with the fact that he is a product of time, of this specific time in the galaxy and that there could be opportunity for him in the future. I don't know. I just wanted to bring up that quote because I think it's like, it applies so well to Kylo. No, it definitely does. It's, it, it, that is so cool. That is like a beautiful quote. <laughs> and it definitely does describe him. And I think even in The Rise of Skywalker, you know, he says it explicitly where he says, I can never go back, you know, to yeah, my mother. Yeah, exactly. And he, he, tell, you know, he says to Ray that she can't go back just like him. And so it definitely connects, uh, you know, in that. And then I think it also connects to Ray because, um, you know, I'm sure all three of us, one of our favorite scenes is her in the cave by herself. And so she mm-hmm. sees her yeah. many, many versions of herself. And so she knew that it was leading somewhere and that she wasn't, you know, that she was the end of it all. So we, I think before the rise of Skywalker, many of us had speculated that Ray and Ben, um, that they were kind of, if not foretold in a prophecy that there had been other pairs like them before that. I think a lot of us had kind of guessed that just because Ray, you see all the multitudes of Ray and then it leads to the end with her and asking who she is and all of that. So it could connect back to that as well. And, um, that we've seen that this has occurred in other generations and, it's ending with the two of them. How cool would it be if we see if we ever saw like multitudes of Ben and like all the different paths um, that he could have taken, and it was I know and and like part of it could even link back to the whole Mortis God thing. I mean, it has been speculated. I can't believe this is the we're in like an hour and thirty minutes into this. We haven't brought up Mortis, but the- that's so unlike that's <laughs> and so unlike me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And I just think it's like if we're talking about force gods and like the idea of like the demigod and everything, I can't believe we didn't bring up this whole morality play that George Lucas created in the in the Mortis gods. But like imagine in a future story with Ben, if all these versions of himself, like one of them was like to the son and one of them and, and Ray as the daughter or something. I think that there's all these reflections within Star Wars of each other. And Caitlin talked about it in our last episode where we talked about fractals and how everything is reflective of each other. And I think that 
it would be super interesting if like even that whole archetype was explored within the story and that Ben would either like come to face that or like reject that sort of that godlike power. To me, I feel like that would be really powerful and really interesting. Yeah. One of my crack theories was um, that Ray and Ben would give up their force powers. And that, yes. um, and mm-hmm. that, um, every future Star Wars story would just be from the past. Like it would, things would end with them, and the galaxy would be at peace because no one was being pulled. Like if you were connected to the Force, it was just something natural and pure, and you know, it, you wouldn't be pulled between the light and the dark and all of this. It, you know, it would be back to kind of a reset of everything. But, um, sorry, what was it you just mentioned? Uh, fractals and Ben Solo and the Sun. Oh, the Mortis. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, the idea of Ray and Kylo um, being the son and the daughter. I think we saw a version of that on Exegol. Um, mm-hmm. the, per- yeah. the father between them is Palpatine, right? And in The Last mm-hmm. Jedi, the father between them is Luke. And it's definitely framed that way. And it's definitely, you know, that image of um, Anakin and the son and the daughter. Um, they form a triad kind of. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's definitely there in The Last Jedi with Luke and the two of them in the hut. And then again, on Exegol with Palpatine and he's pushing the power onto them. I think that that's almost exactly like how it was with Anakin and the son and the daughter, right? Where yeah. he's controlling the two of them and he's using the, like you actually physically see the power between mm-hmm. um, going he, out of his fingers and onto yeah, them. Yeah, he's the one that can actually control them. I mean, Father kind of alludes that he can, but he right, doesn't right. in the episode. It's Anakin who does. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so we've kind of seen this twisted version with Palpatine trying to be the father and being the one to control the son and the daughter. Um, and then a lot of people are like, oh, I hate that people think that Ray and Ben are related. <laughs> that, that stuff. But it's so funny because in um, the Shakespeare version um, of The Rise of Skywalker, Mary Rise of Skywalker, Leia refers to them both as her children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I think in mythology, it doesn't really matter like all of the gods are related to each other like they marry their brothers and their cousins and like all that stuff i'm not saying like oh that's what's happening with rain ben but that I, yeah. that terminology they're just archetypes you know the son and the yes. daughter it's not it doesn't mean that they're related it's just you know an archetype and it like george lucas wanted word is the reason behind it is just to teach us something about the force and so ray and ben could be you know another version of that yeah exactly it's yeah. like referring to the, the concept of twins it's not necessarily like genetic twins it's mm-hmm. not sometimes it is and it is expressed so with like luke and leia but oftentimes it's not because you have this concept of anima and animus and the whole masculine and feminine and all this duality and the polarity between everyone it's just like <laughs> that's just how it is you know yeah and all of that to say you know the anima and animus it's within ourselves you know yes. like ray and kylo I'm not saying they're within each of us, but, but the <laughs> idea of uh, spirituality of man, masculine and feminine, this push and pull between us of being good, being bad, everything we do in our lives, that's what's inside of both, you know, all of us. And so the idea of the animate animus, because it's psycho- psychological, is, um, you know, about the one person and finding balance in yourself. So it's all connected and related. <laughs> well, it's all fluid. Like, that's it, it's it's all interchangeable. And the thing about like a lot of these mythological stories is that they could be morphed to fit the situation that they needed to. <laughs> and I think that's something that we can see in Star Wars too. And something a lot of us, as we've been talking about, saw with Mortis and talking about sister, like daughter and son, they could be called sister and brother in some versions, or they could be called husband and wife in other versions. Like they're all fulfilling similar roles. It's just what you call them is different. So Hammy and Caitlin, if you were to see the next Ben story, what format would you want to see it in? I want a movie. I want Adam Driver back. 
<laughs> and I want him in 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 the other worlds trying to get back. I do too. I do too. <laughs> if we and, couldn't and have that, would we be satisfied with like animation? If we, Silence. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think people who have listened know that I would love a high like high style animation mortis movie like i'm all about that and i think i could be okay with it if we had i think it if that like if they were going to take the step with animation i think i would want it to be like a theatrical release then with like adam and daisy and like the whole original cast doing it because these are their characters and we've seen other people portray uh ray and well actually i don't think we've ever had another voice actress do ray quite yet have we um because she did forces of destiny but we've certainly had another voice actor for uh, Kylo in Resistance. So I think it would ju- I would want them to close out those characters' stories. So I think we all speculate a lot about how they feel about the Enterprise of Skywalker. And I don't really want to get into that because that's their like real-world opinions. It's not mm-hmm. just me talking about characters. But I know personally I would like whatever format it does. Yes, I would prefer live action for this instance just because that's how their story started. But if animation is the best route for it – then I think that's I could I can work with that, and I would like hopefully I would like to see the original cast reprise their roles. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the main thing is we all still love the cast, and they're the ones who found their ways into all of our hearts. You know, it's not just Adam and Daisy. We love John, and we love Oscar, and we and we love Kelly. And so to see them come back in some form, and to have their story told about how the future generation is going to you know, be in Star Wars, I think it would really mean a lot to like all of us, you know, as sequel trilogy fans. So whether that's an animation or um, live action, I think we'll take what we can get. And especially with Disney Plus, I think I think the options are there to have that. Obviously, we would prefer a theatrical release, but everything going on with COVID and 2020 and all of that, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it could be 10 years from now where the actors all come back and that would be great. But um, I think we're all thirsting for more sequel trilogy content from all of them yeah i think it's a little disheartening when we hear that like oh they're not gonna explore the sequel trilogy they're gonna give it a couple years and a lot of people are like give it 10 years and for me i'm like give it three (laughs) give it four (laughs) give it five because i feel like the fans and as we're seeing right now with the prequel trilogy there has definitely been a prequel renaissance in this uh, renewed interest in resuming um appearances from that cast i mean we're getting the kenobi show you know six years ago i could have never imagined that and never really imagined that we'd get an an, that cast returning or even just part of the cast returning and now we're in a time where i think um i would say that i would look upon the sequel trilogy as way more well regarded even just critically than the prequels were and we're seeing now a a renaissance with the prequels and like i just can't really imagine what the renaissance is going to look like for the sequel trilogy now that it's finished i think that there's going to be there is a generation of people who's like this is their first star wars this is the star wars that got them excited and they have like christmas memories going to see this movie and i feel like we're really on the cusp of like yeah we're letting it simmer we're letting it settle but it'll be back and i feel like it has to be back soon because like you said hammy like i am I love these characters and I love talking about them. I feel like this this period is so interesting and um, things that are brought up and concepts like the dyad and like you even mentioned, like 
the the restoration of the Republic and like what what comes next after the ending of the Rise of Skywalker for these characters and how do they rebuild? I think we're all very interested in that in the same way that generations were interested in the way that Return of the Jedi ended and how they rebuild it from that. And we're still getting those stories. And I think there's just endless possibilities within Star Wars. And I don't think that we should ever be like, oh, like <laughs> countless Star Wars characters come back to life. Like no one is really ever gone in Star Wars. And I do truly feel like we will see these characters again and we will explore these like really high concept concepts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I don't think to say that the door is closed on the sequel trilogy, I think is just, I mean, have you looked at what they've done with Star Wars in the past 40 years? <laughs> they're, they're always going back. So it's just a matter of time. Do I want it to be a decade? Personally, no, not right now. But I know that it'll come back in some form or fashion. And I'll be really curious to see what the first, like, real big full market push from the sequel trilogy era looks like. Is it directly with these characters or is it something a different story. So I think that'll be really great to see. I mean, Lost Stars 2, live action Lost Stars, I could <laughs> I could be into that. Um, like a version of that for the sequel trilogy or just seeing what happens at the end of that story too. Sorry, I don't know why I brought up Lost Stars. I was just thinking about <laughs> it um, because I watched Claudia Gray today on an interview and so I was thinking about Lost Stars. <laughs> well, Lost Stars was part of the lead up to the sequel trilogy. Exactly. So. Yeah. So it was like, that's what we dipped our toes into, yeah. the Starcross lovers experience. What do they want from us if not to be shippers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have reached the end of our conversation with Hammy. And that means we have one last question for you, Hammy, which is our Star Wars dinner question. And if this is your first time listening to Sky Talkers, this is a little tradition we have where we ask every guest um, their Star Wars dinner party. So the Star Wars Dinner Party is a game that Charlotte and I played throughout middle and high school where uh, we would basically just ask each other who are the five characters or creators you would want to invite to a dinner party from Star Wars. Uh, who would they be and why? And so now we ask all of our guests and it's one of our favorite segments. And Hammy, I'm so excited to ask you, who would you bring to your Sky Talkers Star Wars Dinner Party? I'm so excited, too, because I've loved hearing all of your guests' answers and then hearing your both of your answers because I've gone back and listened to old episodes and seen how your answers change. I'm such a nerd about Sky Talkers. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so um, mine's going to be really obvious and there's going to be no surprises for the first four people. But then the fifth person <laughs> is what brings it together. So. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, so, <laughs> okay. So because the reason is I want all the four people to be reacting to our fifth guest. Oh, my God. Okay, oh go. Sorry. Okay. So first of all, of course, Mr. Ryan Johnson. He's he's a necessary component, of course. Uh, I fell in love with Star Wars because of The Last Jedi, and I just want to pick his brain about everything. I want to pick his brain about his own movies, Star Wars, life, everything. Uh, he'll probably put a restraining on me, order on me after that. But, <laughs> but I just want to talk to him and just tell him how much he means to me as a Star Wars fan. So he would be my first person. That's awesome. Pierre. I like that. <laughs> um, and then my second person would be the master himself, George Lucas. And... The reason I would want him, not just because I'm a newer fan and it would be fun to talk to him about the prequels and all of my own perspective of that, but it would also be really cool to see how him and Ryan jive off each other and talk about um, their ideas behind myth and 
philosophy and all of that. So I think they would both be really cool. So then my third guest, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to bring the dyad. And they're going to be Ray oh, and Kylo. <laughs> yes. A loophole. We were just talking about the dyad. I would want both of them there. Um, I would love for Ryan and George to be able to interact with them. I'd love to know what George thinks about the dyad. Um, and then, of course, I would just want to see baby Ben Solo and, of course, Ray, love of my life. So I'd want both of them. And then my fourth guest would be Rose because she means a lot to me as a Star Wars fan, um, as an Asian fan. And I would just love for Rose to be there. So I cheated and I got four or I've got five people there <laughs> but then my real fifth guest who I would want them all reacting to and I know it's super cheesy but I would want it to be baby Yoda yes Ooh, I love that I, I feel like there's that picture of George holding baby Yoda I know Ryan loves the porgs and I just feel like Ray and Kylo I'd love to see their reactions to baby Yoda and then Rose <laughs> is all about really endearing like she loves the father she loved the kids at canto bite i just feel like all five of them are really they know the importance of children in the star wars universe and so i'd want them to be able to react and interact through the whole dinner with our newest child in star wars oh my gosh i love this so much it's probably super cheesy but no it's not no it's not it's great because baby yoda will be there in a high chair it'll Mm -hmm. be great and i also am obsessed with the loophole of the dyad that is perfect (laughs) i'm probably gonna use that in january when we redo our (laughs) our yeah it's brilliant (laughs) yeah i think that is i think that is so good you'd get the fact that you could recreate the george and baby yoda photo Mm -hmm. but with ryan johnson added in because he giggles at everything. I know yes. he always knows how important having Star Wars be for kids is. So I think he would be really cute with Baby Yoda too. That yeah, I yes, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, that was such a great dinner. That was perfect. Yeah. Wow, I'm so excited to come to your dinner too. It'll be the best time. We'll have a great time. <laughs> it really will. Okay, so in other fun news, something that came out just today that we're recording this is uh, Pablo Hidalgo's book, Star Wars Fascinating Facts, Story, Lore, and History from the Greatest Galaxy came out today. And uh, one, number one, it's a really great book. It's, it's a very fun book with lots of fun little tidbits. Charlotte and I were going through it today, and there's actually things that we don't know that, that were mentioned in this book, and it was really fun. But <laughs> we also learned... A fun and interesting new tidbit from this book. In Pablo's book, they were talking about the creation of Rey, right, and Kylo, and they went through different names that they were toying with at the beginning of kind of the conceptual phase for The Force Awakens. And uh, there were – I'm very glad that we have (laughs) Rey. This is from the book, and it says – they're talking about Rey, and it's – the book writes – in George Lucas's original outline, she was she, Ray, was a 14-year-old girl named Taryn. Okay, Taryn's a fine name. In his subsequent iterations, she would briefly be named Thea and then, believe it or not, Winky. <laughs> Winky. Okay, all right. Just keep that in your back pocket. When writer-director JJ Abrams came aboard, he simplified the names to placeholders. Kylo Ren became the Jedi killer. Thea became Sally. <laughs> Finn was called Harry, and the character that would be Poe was John Doe. (laughs) As the film (laughs) neared production, Sally became Kira, then Echo, and finally Rey. And then they also talked about how at one point Kylo's name was Skylar. (laughs) 
right? Yeah, pa- Pablo in uh, these were he's deleted all his tweets now on purpose probably <laughs> so we don't dig it up. But um in one of his tweets he said that in some of the drafts um the son character was named Skylar. Yeah. So oh, great. the winky. I just anyway, so Hammy <laughs> asked us before we started recording, what if she invited Winky and Skylar <laughs> to her dinner? It would be Winky, we- Skylar, Ray and Kylo, and then of no. course George Lucas, because he would have something to say about all of this. <laughs> we we would dig in to, you know, what his plan was, what the future sequel trilogy, you know, what actually ended up happening with Disney. <laughs> We'd learn all the dirt. I'm like, this is like my favorite thing ever. I think it's so funny. I also, something I love about some of the Star Wars dinners, like all these different uh, iterations of the character interacting and hearing George, like what would, what would Winky look like? What would she be like? I think this is actually a genius dinner because I think it would be so fascinating to have a conceptual version of a character mirrored with what they actually became. And it would be so interesting too, if it was like, if it was like, if George had seen that character all the way through, right. To, to just listen to him track the conception of this character and how it changed in front of them and like how they react. Obviously it's a little different because George didn't end up finishing the character of Winky or Ray. Uh, but I actually think this is a genius dinner. And I, I think it's so cool to have a different like concept art version of a character paired with what became reality. I think it's actually so cool. Yeah. It's also Definitely. just hilarious. because I mean, Yeah, it is. It's so funny. Tyler. The name Winky. Uh, Ray is never going to live it down from yeah, all no, of no, us. No. I'm, I'm, I'm sweeping that under my, the rug. And I think Winky at the dinner and Ray would both be like, George. Caitlin's no. like not having any of the Winky jokes. <laughs> she doesn't like them. the name Winky. And she's like, no, it's super cool. It's like super conceptual. <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter today, it's like, oh, Raylos would have been Winklos instead. And I just like, can't handle that or Winkler because of Skyler. It's perfect. <laughs> I just I wonder I wonder what Winklow's Winkler's fate would have been. Would they have had a happy ending? Yes. Maybe then I would yeah. take them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're on Naboo, like chilling out, relaxing, have you know, making babies. That's what they're uh-huh. doing. Winklow. Yeah. Winklow. Well, yeah. You know. Good for them. Good for them. God they, bless them. They escaped. They escaped the pit in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Jealous of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode all about the dyad. Hammy, thank you so, so much for being on the show with us. We were so excited to finally have you on. And this has just been such a fun and healing conversation and just really great to talk. Um, Honestly, to return to this topic and to Raylo, I feel like it's been a long time since we've devoted an episode to Raylo and to Ben and Ray. And so I'm really glad that you were here for it. Where can people find you online? Oh, well, thank you both for having me on. Uh, we've been friends now, I think, I guess all two and a half years, more than that mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So it's it's really meant a lot to me as a new fan coming in and both of you being so welcoming and so kind and really just doing so much great work in the fandom. It 
it's meant a lot to me. Um, and I really appreciate you asking me to come on. If you'd like to find me, you can follow me on Twitter at Balance Padawan, or you can come and check out all of our articles on What the Force. We have so many fun things planned for the rest of this year and going into 2021. We have some cool announcements coming up. And uh, we're just really excited to, you know, celebrate Star Wars and celebrate, um, you know, analyzing it and talking about it um, the way that all of us want to. So um, we're thank you again, both of you for having me on. <laughs> We're so happy that you were able to come on and it was so it was just so wonderful to talk to you. And thank you so much for those kind words. It like makes me emotional. So thank you. Yeah. And what the force is, I believe it's whattheforce.ca, right? Yes, yes. Sorry. Um the website is whattheforce.ca because Marie Claire's from our good neighbors in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put all those links in the description so you can explore them and on our website for like further reading. And I'll pick some articles that I particularly like and Caitlin likes too that and we'll we'll link to. So you can explore those there. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're interested in following Charlotte or I online, we are most active on Twitter with Hammy pretty much all day, every day. Um, <laughs> you can find Charlotte at Curity or me at Caitlin Flusher. Also on the podcast Twitter handle at SkyTalkersPod. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, Instagram and Facebook, our email, all that good stuff. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would love it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps our show out a lot and helps other people find our show and give us a listen give us a try see if they want to join the sky talkers community too and if you're interested in other ways to support us you can head on over to our patreon and check out our reward tiers there yes and i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons silver ashley rad Lindsay, lola froppy cat dave nikki and christina thank you so much for supporting us yes thank you guys so much and as always until next time may the force be with you may the force be with you may the force be with you Thank you.